Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 29. Um, we're covering a genre today that is one I think we've purposely been putting off because it's probably mm. of all the metal subgenres, the one me and Rob know least about, coupled with maybe Grind. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so, and this will be one that will really divide people <laughs> in the audience. I think we're finally getting around to doing an episode purely on power metal. And we're going to try, like, for those fans, for those of you who are more fans of like the death metal stuff, the more extreme stuff we cover, stick with it, because I think we found a subsection of bands in power metal here that are heavier than you might think the genre can be. Yes, yeah, I sort of found that when we were listening through to the bands. I thought, okay, yeah, there's definitely there's some new stuff in here which I'm not as used to, because I don't listen to power metal as much as I do sort of death metal and things like that. And I'm like, no, these are things that have clearly been picked by us because they've got really heavy guitar riffs <laughs> and like weird prog sections as well. So, yeah, if, if it is something you're not particularly familiar with, you'll find things that are still familiar within it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, probably best to start this off... Um, Rob's written out a few things that are like what defines power metal as a genre. Yeah, so so for me with power metal, the, I mean the early power metal bands that I listened to a lot when I was younger are bands like Halloween and Blind Guardian. I listen to loads. I still think they're really great bands. Got some great albums, um, but it's it's often fast. It's a bit lighter and more uplifting than most metal genres. Um, and it sort of borrows a bit from the sort of new wave of British heavy metal feel, but then it sort of takes it in a different direction. It has these very operatic vocals and often includes sort of symphonic elements. This often goes hand in hand with sort of fantasy style lyrics and mm. stuff like that. You often have these, and, and it will often be a sort of place where you'll find really, really great guitar players with really, really fast um, and melodic guitar solos and stuff like that. And for me, it's very much defined by these big, powerful, anthem-like choruses. You know, these yeah, huge yeah. vocal melodies and massive guitars, but happier sounding than most, particularly, like, you know, more modern metal genres. Yeah, I think it's, like, much more use of major scales and so mm. on, and, and songs mm. that are the, the overall emotion is more positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they feel like these huge rock ballads taken into metal mm. rather than, you know much more aggressive songs you find in yeah. other genres. So it's like ballads but with like super fast double kick pedals underneath yeah, 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 them and like yeah. slightly detuned guitars but yeah. then these symphonic keyboards layered up mm. on top. And instead of the double kick being like a punch in the face it's like a driving thing. It's a mm. very driving genre generally and it should be said that all of these things just like we're trying to define any metal genre it's sometimes this is true often you'll find bands who break all the rules and still sort of fit within that <laughs> yeah, genre yeah. and it doesn't yeah it's very hard to pin it down exactly. And I think in slow power metal, there's two sort of distinct subgenres of it, and we're definitely leaning towards more one of them. There's mm. the kind of prog power metal, which is more what we're doing here, which is kind of a, like if you're not used to it, it's kind of bands that sound like dream theater, but more kind of cheesy and silly, and possibly not quite so self-indulgent musically, but still mm. have those dream theater esque you know, four-minute-long instrumental sections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And often prog power metal tends to be, like, the weightier of the subgenres. Yeah, just like when you listen to some Dream Theater, you'll have cheesy sections, but you'll also have big guitar riffs in there as well, which will sort of melt together. Yeah, and then the other side of it is your... Um, like, I think the best uh, the best descriptor I heard for the the other subgenre is wine and cheese, um, <laughs> which which is is, like, sort of... Often classed as like female fronted, but then I don't think it has to have female singers because I'd say mm. you've got the bands like Nightwish, Within Temptation, uh, Leaves Eyes, that kind of 
like really bombastic singer with quite simple backing music mm. and it's all about the vocals. But then I'd say if you look at something like more modern Sonnet Artica or Camelot, yeah, the yeah. songwriting styles are identical and the only difference is the vocalist is male or female. But they even have the same vocal approach. It's yeah. that, yeah, that yeah. same super high pitch, um, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, at the end of the day, it's a very, I think it's a weird thing to do to define a genre by having a male or female vocalist. Ultimately, it makes no sense because <laughs> you'll find loads of people who can do exactly the same thing regardless if you're a man or a woman. Yeah, and I think what we're covering today doesn't fit into any of this. No. Oh, and the final point I want to make about uh, power metal, because I think it's quite an interesting one, is it's very much seen as the girly genre of metal, which is hilarious because it must be the most male-dominated audiences <laughs> of any shows I've ever been to. So the first band we're going to be covering are Pagan's Mind, and I was watching one of their DVDs before doing this, um, and the audience is entirely like 40-year-old IT professionals with glasses. <laughs> is that, that, that genre of man is yeah. like your archetypal power metal fan, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't speak, I, I am also an IT professional, as I imagine many metal fans are, but... Power Metal fans look like the most they work in IT. <laughs> so yeah, as I mentioned, the first one we're getting to are Norway's Pagan's Mind. They're, they've they been around a while. They formed in 2000. Um, and we're going to cover their third album uh, from 2005, Enigmatic Calling. So their kind of breakout one was the album before. And Enigmatic Calling is kind of the moment where they sort of cemented the formula they, they were doing. And they really hit all the staples of what Rob was talking about, like defining the prog power genre. It's massive melodic guitar solos, really bombastic, powerful, high-pitched vocals. Mm. I think actually more, more so than operatic, in the kind of more in the vein of like Deep Purple, where yeah. it's, it's got that kind yeah, of like yeah. quite a high voice throughout, but occasional moments of like hitting a super high note, which is like not really defined. I think with Deep Purple, they said he's essentially, he screams the note. It's, yeah. it's so high, it's not in a normal tone range. Yeah, it's, it's not one of those really accomplished sort of opera-style singers who can reach these ridiculously high notes, as we'll see in a lot of like power metal bands and some of the ones we'll talk about today. It is, yeah, that's sort of slightly less controlled and it has a different energy because of that. Um, and yeah, this really, I think, Pagan's Mind does it beautifully, uh, particularly on this album. Um, Supremacy Our Kind really illustrates one of the things I really like about this genre, where they start off with this really big, meaty riff, which could be a thrash riff. Yeah, it's it's yeah. slower than what you'd imagine, but it's a big, heavy riff, and then they bring in the drums, and you've got this sort of heavy, slightly groovy riff. They then bring in the keyboards over the top, which sort of fades in this extra sort of layer, and then you think, yes, right, this is power metal, because it's got this keyboard melody over the top. And then as that riff sort of comes in and you get to the next verse, it cuts out completely, and you go to pianos and drums, and then the vocalist comes in, uh, Nils over the top, and then it will switch back between these, and then it has the really melodic, big, huge choruses, and it manages to pull all that stuff together into a sort of, you know set of sounds and emotions which works and doesn't feel like jarring between the two yeah I, I think um, like another staple of broad power metal stuff is that kind of transitions between like in mm. songs where you get really heavy riffs going into melodic sections and Pagan's Mind mess around with that a huge amount like there's a lot of tempo changes and a lot of like dropping out of certain instruments to give another instrument like a mm. massive place in the mix like there's a lot of bits where they strip back to like just keyboard and drums for a section yeah, yeah and yeah. and like the way the, the sound is put together as rob was saying is these big thrashy riffs where you've got this very meaty bass tone mm. um 
like really good drum and guitar sound as well like it just gives it this huge feel but then the vocalist and keyboard player kind of take the edge off that and yeah. stop you from playing and it, and it is interesting having essentially two lead instruments in a lot of metal bands you cover the guitar you know it covers the rhythm and it covers the lead here you have keyboards and they're not just there for the atmosphere they are a big part of the sound mm. and it's true of a lot of power metal and it's I think Deep Purple is a really interesting comparison you made earlier because I found that with this. When you look at old Deep Purple and you hear them basically driving the organ and the guitar to sound the same, mm. so there's times where you can't make it out. I found that a couple of times in this where the patterns mimic each other a little bit. You've got similar styles of things going on and then you're never going to mimic the sound of these guitars because they're much heavier than a keyboard will ever sound. But you have that same idea going through where you have these two lead instruments which are interplaying of each other, which you just find less often. Normally, yeah. it's if anything, it's two guitars doing it. So it's interesting to have those other sort of textures of sound in it, and it gives it that unique feel. Yeah, definitely. And and another thing that's quite strange for a more modern metal album is one guitarist. Like, yeah. So a lot of space is being filled by the keyboards. Mm. Because I, And I quite like this as well, because it gives the rhythm section a lot more of a position in the mix. Mm. I find a lot of bands kind of drown their bass by having too much guitar. Yeah. And something that's a yeah. bit of a trend with these albums we're going to be covering today is a lone guitarist, mm. which means the rhythm section really has a place to breathe. And because Payton's Mind are actually quite restrained in this genre, they're more just playing cool-sounding stuff. They're never yeah. that technical. No, no, no. You get the impression they could be. But actually, um, I was listening to an interview with Nils, the singer. He's sort of saying, like, the other guys in the band are all these virtuosi musicians, but they're like their whole ethos is melody like mm. everything has to be melodic so they never allow their instrumental sections to go on too long and they're really focused on having a catchy memorable sound versus yeah. a yeah you know like a kind of real technical show-off stuff like uh guitarist Jorn uh Jorn Viggo Lofsten is an absolute guitar god mm. but his solos are tiny and yeah. they're these really <laughs> short really like very memorable and very catchy solos but they never outstay their welcome, mm. which for this kind of band is really rare. Yeah, yeah. For an album that is so long as well, and definitely when you listen to it, the thing which struck me is comparison to listening to Dream Theater, and there's these little like hints in it of things that are slightly odd. There's some slightly jazzy like syncopation on some of the riffs mm. where you think, oh right, that's a bit weird. That wasn't exactly what I expected from that riff, but it never it never actually stays that long. It's something you sort of notice and then go, Oh right, okay, you're doing that. Um, and then it will pull itself back into this huge sort of anthem-like chorus. And again, on those choruses, the guitar melodies on them are beautiful. Yeah. They're, they're so, so well done. That's the thing you often have in these songs, like three different interesting melody passages of mm. like Nils doing something, the guitar doing something, the keyboard doing yeah. something different. And it's, it, it does lead to the sounds being super cheesy. It has the <laughs> Iron Maiden thing of like some of the choruses are ludicrously cheesy and there's kind of a learning curve with this stuff of yeah, getting yeah. your head around music that is this bombastic and over yeah. the top. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In the same way that you have to get your head around just how aggressive things like death metal can be. Um, and you have when you listen to grind, you have to get your head around how short these songs are going to be and that is just that is just how it works. Like there's a bit of acclimatization to that. But then you find yourself sort of sitting on the bus listening to it and you're starting to mouth along the words as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you get your head around it, it does make a lot of sense. Mm. I feel like a real good part of this album as well, and like this whole band's career, is Nils K. Roo, the vocalist, is a very accomplished power metal vocalist. Yeah. And he, he does a lot of really interesting stuff. So 
quite rare for one of these like really great clean singers is he messes around with effects on the vocals throughout mm, the album mm. like loads of his vocals have like a slight distortion effect or some like it's huge distortion effect yeah. like to give moments like more power or sometimes to drop his vocals back in the mix because mm. by putting the distortion on it he doesn't cut through quite as much yeah. and he sits yeah, yeah. more with the guitars so like he'll do that for like a, a verse and then go to fully clean for the chorus, and it yeah, sounds kind yeah, of amazing. Yeah, and it, and it gives those moments their different feels, which is backed up by everything else that's going on musically. And as well, he does—he has a nice way of phrasing his vocal lines. Mm. It's not—it's not just because your stereotypical thing of power metal is it is just someone singing a really high note and sort of you know exploding speakers with the power of their voice. But he does a lot with this. He's—he's he's not super high most of the time. He's a little bit more mid-range in this sort of genre. And he varies up the phrasing of it quite a lot. There's some interesting stuff to see here, particularly with your guitar and your keyboards doing different things. Having then a vocal line which, again, varies and does interesting phrasing really adds to it. It just adds that extra layer on top. Yeah, he's clearly very good at writing these passages, which is what Mm. you need from this genre because it does rely on vocalists so much. They are such a key... like. It, Realistically, yeah. all these bands, if you don't get the vocalist, you're not going to like them. And it's, and it's so clear, you know, the vocals of this style cut through so much, um, it's impossible to ignore it. So if, if you don't get on with it, it, you'll find it really, really hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the, thing he, the other thing he does, and this is a trend, I think for almost every prog power metal band I've listened to has this, and you've probably noticed this, mm. the not being able to do scream vocals and having to try and do a heavy-sounding voice at yep. some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Every band <laughs> seems to have a different attempt at doing this this heavy voice, and like Nils's attempt is put tons of distortion on it <laughs> so you can't really hear him, and yeah, like, that yeah. makes the weird aggressive noise. <laughs> but almost every band has this, like the aggressive-sounding voice at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You have that slightly heavier riff, and then you have the sinister bit, and there's a head, like, this like, weird heavy voice comes in. It's like, like yeah. Man War with the uh, whisper vocals. Which I think are the most embarrassing version of the uh, attempting yeah. heavy voice. Yeah, because... Uh, it, most of the time, like it doesn't really take me out because um, it often fits with, particularly on songs like um, on this album, Resurrection brackets back in time. You have these quite like creepy keyboard riffs in mm. it, uh, which is kind of unsettling, and that works quite well with that. Um, and it's just interesting seeing how they do that variation. Yeah. Because every now and then, and we will get to the, the, in this episode, there is one scream in one of the albums. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but every now and then you find something like that. But often I don't think that would fit the tone of what's going on at all. So you have to find a different way of getting that across. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so um, probably should get into a few criticisms of this album because it, it falls into traps that this genre does a lot. It's only 65 minutes long, which... Is a long album, but it's mm. not completely over the top. Problem is, it's eleven songs, and yeah. as much as Pagan's Wine can vary the formula, most of the songs are in the same kind of vein. Yeah, and I, the biggest problem actually is the final track, New World Order, is one of the weaker ones on the album. Yeah, and it's a big eight-minute yeah. epic at the end, which I don't see why they were sort of building to it, but. I do find this an album I get about seven songs into. I'm like, actually, I've probably had enough of this. Like, yeah, yeah, and and I think this is something we'll talk about more with the, some of the other bands as well. It is just a little bit too much. It, it you have this sort of nice sort of pocket of maybe forty minutes or so, and then mm. after that, 
nothing's dramatically changed in such a way which can keep you interested. Um, and yeah, look, New World Order is a bit of a shame, really, because it's got some great potential in it. Like, there's a nice build and sort of balancing this um, dread that it builds up slowly with these powerful choruses, but it doesn't quite match any of the peaks from earlier in the album on, like, shorter, less complex songs, mm. which manage to do more with less. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do find this is one of those albums that's a bit front-loaded. Like, I think my favourite five yeah. tracks are the first five yeah. tracks. Yeah, yeah, Like, um, yeah, like, sort of, as we mentioned, Supremacy of Our Kind is really, mm. really epic. But then you get Entrance to Infinity following that, which has some of the best of Pagan's Mind switching gears. Like, mm. it has about four different distinct sections they nicely blend together. Um, something else I want to mention is, as much as Yawn, the guitarist, doesn't show off that much... He's well worth like paying attention to if you're a guitarist. Um, Enigmatic Mission, the like the single of the album, well worth watching the video purely for the solo because I, I made a note of this. Like he does in about twenty seconds six or seven different guitar techniques. Like the solo <laughs> starts off with doing like whammy bar stuff, which he quickly moves into like pick tapping. Yeah. Uh, then goes into like lots of like long legato passages, which is that like, kind of playing one note and then carrying it all off on the other hand, like yeah, just hitting yeah. all the others without reusing that hand yeah, without picking again then into like pick tapping with a whammy bar as well <laughs> and then into normal tapping and it it does all this in the space of a couple of seconds yeah. and it's like oh this guy is like a guitar genius think, but he yeah. hides it under doing like not too flashy sounding yeah, stuff yeah. well because on Enigmatic Mission as well when you really pay attention there's a lot of awesome little guitar fills in it mm. which sort of go completely unnoticed they just sort of sit at the end of the bar and say like, oh there's a little guitar fill and then it sort of moves on and when you realistic you're like that's really good. How have you written that in there without it like sort of screaming at you in the face? It just adds to the rest of the song. Yeah, I think that that song is a real good example of like what this band are about. Mm. And it's great stuff as well. Like the drummer does a lot with he's got like loads of little splash cymbals around his kit. Yeah. So he makes things sound a bit heavy by just hitting these really high pitch like like uh, essentially drum notes that cut through. Yeah. Or yeah. doing a lot on like the bell of the ride cymbal, which is mm. another way I think you can do like a fast beat and make it sound a bit heftier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will, I will have to criticise again this comes up to New World Order. There are far too many pinch harmonics in that song. Yes, there are, yeah. <laughs> I quite like pinch harmonics, but there were too many there. I, like, um, I think the guy, uh, Yorn's saying is like his favourite guitarist is Eddie Van Halen and he's definitely, uh, yeah, he's yeah. got like an Eddie yeah. Van Halen style guitar and it's one of those guitars that's like super fluid and easy mm. to play but it makes doing stuff like pinch harmonics really easy and tempting <laughs> yeah. and yeah, that's, you do get a few songs that rely on it. The other yeah. thing I want to kind of say just to kind of compare the heaviness of this is the band this most reminds me of is not another power metal band, it's in fact Scar Symmetry who are oh, yeah. like uh, melodic death metal, like progressive melodic mm, death metal, mm. who, to my mind, sound like almost exactly the same band if you replaced half the vocals with screams. Yeah, like, yeah, they're, yeah. they're two guitarists. Uh, Peter Nilsson of Scar Symmetry is another genius guitarist. Mm. He sounds so similar to Yawn. They both have a very... Uh, their soloing technique seems to be almost identical. <laughs> and as they're both, like I think, the primary writer for each band, mm. there's something like, yeah, those two bands seem to be weirdly tending together yeah. in more yeah, recent that's, that's albums. A, that's a really weird observation, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, put a song on by its about, like, listen to something like Enigmatic Mission and then um, listen to Limits to Infinity by, mm. um, by a Scar Symmetry. They are so similar. Yeah. 
Uh, I guess another thing that comes in with this um, is the sort of themes that Power Metal goes over. So it's got a very obvious sort of Stargate-style cover, mm. um, and there's lots of, if you look at some of the lyrics, there's lots of things about sort of science fiction and the origins of humankind and stuff like that. And that's a bit of a departure from, you know, your typical like fantasy fighting dragons and wizards-style thing. But it still very much goes down that Power Metal thing of taking a universe or an idea or a thing and just getting really seriously into it. Oh, good, with, yeah. With sort of no sense of shame whatsoever. And I kind of have to respect that. Well, as Rob already mentioned, there's a song this album called Resurrection Back in Time, which is <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the most over-the-top, like, wanky sci-fi kind of sound. <laughs> yeah. the, every single Pagan's Mind album is this kind of over-the-top yeah. sci-fi stuff. And with the worst album covers. <laughs> Their album covers are so ugly. So this one's not that bad. Yeah. This one's fine. <laughs> the next few are, are like the next few are unacceptable from like the mid two thousands. I'm just I'm just remembering all the hypocrisy album covers as well and trying to I think since we had a good look at all of those, I've been much kinder to album art. <laughs> yeah. Like this isn't as bad as some of those old hypocrisy albums, so this is fine. Yeah, God hypocrisy have not had a good run with that. <laughs> it is very interesting though getting a band like it's a band where they've definitely gone for a theme with their album mm. covers. I just don't like it because I don't like that CGI art yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. Lots of like lens flare and stuff yes, on it. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. But yeah, um, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to cover with these guys. I don't know if you had anything yeah. else, Rob. Uh, yeah, I would, for this album, I'd just sell it on. There's some really great heavy riffs in it, which you don't necessarily expect when you pick up an album like this. Yeah, and actually, perfect showcase of that. The song we're going to leave you with from this is the second track on the album, Enigmatic Mission, which starts with mm. that super heavy riffing and has a lot of Nils hitting silly high notes. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, so the thing I forgot to mention earlier was basically with all the bands we're covering today, I've foisted them upon Rob beforehand. Rob has like no prior knowledge. Like this is a genre you basically don't know. Symphony X, I know, or at least I know the album we're covering today. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. Other than that, all these others are new. Because you know, some, like, the other thing is like you know some of the classics like uh, Blind Guardian, Halloween. Yeah, yeah. And this is something we kind of like some feedback on because initially we were going to go for probably the most obvious albums by both those bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is a thing of like, would you like us to cover some stuff that's that well known mm. and that well kind mm. of covered? Or do you like us going on these kind of deep dives into weirder, unknown bands? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah, we decided to go for kind of a stranger selection, but maybe that was the wrong call. And, and yeah, yeah. So everything we're listening to today as well is recommended to me by a friend of the show, Mike Alexander, over like the last few years who's the guitarist of Tech Death Band Imperium, mm. but has a real love and knowledge of power yeah. metal. But, but you can see that weird crossover because there's just some extreme guitar playing wizardry in a lot of Tech Death Bands and a lot of power metal bands. And it is weird listening to them and hearing that similarity and thinking, yeah, I totally get why someone could be massive fans of both of these. Yeah, yeah. So the next band we're covering are by far and away, I think, the most extreme on this list. Um this is the Dutch band Manticora, who have been around since 1996. Yeah. And this we're covering their fifth and sixth album, which are two connected albums. And they've done, they, I think they've got an eighth one coming out soon. So these guys have been around for ages, done loads, but seemingly no one knows who they mm. are. Like, trying to do the listening for this, Rob was completely unable to yeah. find... So, the first album. Yeah, so it's The Black Circus, parts one and two. I've managed to get hold of part two reasonably cheaply um, from the internet, but I've, I've been desperately trying to find part one for anything less than like 30 or 40 quid. Yeah. And I, and I, ju- I can't quite justify that much money for a single album. No. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, so I looked it up on YouTube to see, oh, maybe there's a few I can listen to on here just to get an idea of it. I won't have the time to really deep dive into it, but I can get an idea of it. And I can only find a few songs from the first part. It's really... I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just rubbish at searching for it. But <laughs> there, there, there was a bit of a barrier there to finding it, which, yeah, really speaks to the size of these guys as a band, compared to some of the others here, who also aren't big at all, but are still yeah, easy yeah. to find. So this came out in 2006, so it's, you know, relatively recent. And mm. the big difference we're going to have here, like between this and Pagan's Mind, is they're still a five-piece, but rather than a keyboard player, they have a second guitarist. Yeah. So automatically that's giving it this more aggressive sound mm. and the big thing with manticore is everything is faster like yeah like for most of this album the drums are at 90 miles an hour it's mm. all this mm. super fast double kick work but also really fast with the hands it's not just the driving double kick rhythm there's like really aggressive snare throughout and then yeah. very oh, probably not very but definitely detuned guitars and mm, mm. just a more aggressive overall feel the thing that I found with it as well particularly comparing it so it is a more aggressive album than Pagan's Mind but for me it's also it has a darker tone to it it's a bit more brooding particularly mm. when it makes use of uh, sort of quiet elements which is the band themselves adding in it often does this in such a way which makes things feel a bit sinister rather than and they do this as well rather than using it to build this epic feel like with keyboards in bands like Pagan's Mind to sort of offset the heavier bits often here on songs like Gypsy's Dance it makes it more sinister it makes it epic in a sinister way it's still a cheesy way of doing that there's no way around that but I really get on with that 
method of using those sort of more symphonic choir-like elements to just make it a bit unsettling. Yes, yes. I, I think this definitely has a very darker vibe to it. And mm. like, I haven't found many, many bands who have done this with this genre. Yeah. Um, this, so the interesting thing with this is it's a two-part concept album, but actually releases two separate albums like a year apart, yeah. and seemingly with a record label change in the meantime. Like the first was on Massacre Records and second on Locomotive. Yeah, yeah. but I, I quite like this because it's just under eighty minutes the two albums back to back. But because they've taken a year in between, they managed to get quite a similar sound. But it seems they just spent a bit more time in the writing, mm. so it's actually quite listenable the whole way through. There's not too much wasted space. Yeah. Whereas a lot of double albums, I don't think justify their <laughs> runtime. Yeah, yeah. This I think almost does. Like, there's one or two songs I'm not quite as into. But yeah, and and for me. It's one of those things, and there are so many more far worse offenders for this in power metal, but um, there's these sort of little instrumental tracks between things, and that sometimes really bugs me. Uh, Blind Guardian are possibly the worst for it with Nightfall in Middle Earth, where between every single song, there's a little instrumental intro and stuff. There basically is with these guys. Like uh, (laughs) It's slightly more broken up on part two. Part one, there is an instrumental interlude. I personally quite like these because I feel there's a lot more in this album of like the big main song ends and the main song blends into the instrumental interlude. Like they do a lot more like it's not that kind of stop start Mm. here's an interlude. It's not like uh, one of the most egregious offenders is uh, Testimony to the Ancients Uh, by Pestilence where it's just completely irrelevant (laughs) tracks like they'll just stop a death metal song and there's a bass solo. Yeah. Like, and it, yeah. it's like, well, the bass solo was cool, but this has nothing yeah, to do with it. Yeah, it didn't fit with anything that was going on musically. So, like, with these albums, um, there is there is keyboards throughout it, actually, despite there not being a member of the band who plays keyboards. Tommy Hansen, who was, uh, I think, majorly involved in the recording, um, plays all the keyboards, I think all the keyboards on this, and there's a huge amount of them adding a bit of atmosphere, mm. but it's far less involved than, say, something like Pagan's Mind. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. it's much more, here's an atmospheric synth note. Yeah, it's it's the difference between where it's often used as a lead instrument to add, like, the big thing that you're paying attention to alongside the guitar and the vocals versus what you'd find in many other genres like black metal, where it's just sitting there providing a general sort of atmosphere for what's going on in the song at that time. Yeah, yeah. The other thing this has that's quite weird for a power metal album is the recording is quite stripped back. It's quite a rough production mm, on it. It is, yeah. Whereas like, power metal is very famous for really bright, really clear productions. Yeah, you, you can hear like every single thing the guitar is doing in these big, huge melodic sections where everything sort of shines through. Yeah, this feels a bit sort of dirtier. Really. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, And that really works for its really fast, aggressive parts. Um, but at the same time with that production, um, for me, the drum performance really stood out on this. Incredibly precise. Um, yeah, yeah. Particularly for these super fast bits. You listen to that double bass and you can listen to the, sort of the cymbal hit stuff. Very, very precise. Um, really, like, inventive, um, particularly not, not necessarily during the sort of faster grooves, but around that with the fills and things like that. They really push the energy further. Mm. And this album has a lot of energy, particularly in those faster moments. And I feel the drums really made that for me. They made that so much bigger than it would have otherwise been and ties it together because it sort of feels like it's going to explode at some points because it's really aggressive. Yeah, because everything is like 90 miles an hour, but then you have these kind of like 
So uh, Lars Larson, the vocalist, mm. is not the most... Like, he's got quite a powerful voice, but he doesn't have much of a range. But yeah. so to cover that, they have this call and response thing with like, he'll sing a line and then you'll have a choiral reply to it. Or yeah. like, well, not quite choiral, but the, the choir of the rest of the band will yeah. sing like, often a slightly higher reply. Mm. And b- because this is all going over this quite fast material, there's a lot happening. Yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 there's a lot to pay attention to. He does remind me a little bit of... Um, Hansi Kirsch from Blind Guardian mm. um, in some of his delivery. But the way that it comes across, particularly in a lot of the songs, with this technique that they use with the rest of the band sort of doing a response, gives it a completely different feeling. Mm. Um, it feels it feels much less epic and high fantasy and and well, it feels like the story that it's telling about this, you know, this ancient sort of circus place, and you know, with these dark lyrics as well. Sometimes a bit too on the nose, but they have <laughs> a sense of yeah, sort of really nasty, horrible things happening in a, you know, like, 19th century world. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's very much a, like, gritty fantasy versus a high fantasy. And that and that is really carried by that, I guess, slightly more subdued vocal performance, if you can really call any power metal vocal performance subdued. It's subdued in contrast to some others. Yeah, I yeah. Think. Like, so, we should probably get into the concept of the album, because and it's one where they're slightly wary of... It's, Possibly slightly problematic content of it, the story is about a a character uh, in the first one. The first album is uh, Black Circus Part One Letters, and it's a character of this this played by essentially Lars throughout it writing letters to some unseen observer about how he's ended up joining up with this this cir- this traveling circus. Mm. The traveling circus is run by Romany gypsies, and essentially, I think they're summoning Satan. <laughs> so. The concept is based around a group of evil Romany gypsies, which yes. could be a like, it could be slightly racist. It is one of those things that's quite a horror trope, though. Yeah. So I'm not. Yeah, it's. I, I wouldn't crucify them for it. I just, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that's slightly problematic. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. The, I mean, the lyrics though are really good. Like, mm. it's very the the story of like this guy's kind of descent into. Like really slow descent into madness over mm. two albums is kind of really well put together of him sort of like being yeah. like, oh, I'm kind of enjoying being here. I, I'm quite happy, and then just the content gets darker and darker, and actions he's taking keep getting darker. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to notice until like right at the end where he realizes mm. he's completely insane and sort of like so the circus moves to points of like killing all the mm. everyone who comes to see it and... and there's some really nice points where the music reinforces parts of the story so in a gypsy's dance part 2 on um, the second part disclosure uh, they have this sort of chorus of everyone is distracted by the gypsy's dance while they're being robbed and all sorts of stuff like that and that mirrors bits in the song which mm. are really sort of entrancing in the way that they do the vocals and all of the stuff that comes around it it slows down a bit and it's got this like the bigger, more epic moment, but with that sort of mesmerizing nature to it, and that mirrors when you read the lyric book what's happening in the story, and that's a really, really nice thing which really draws you into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like so, the, the on both albums, uh, there's Gypsy Dance Part One on the first one and mm. Part Two on the second, and these are really big highlights of the album. They're yeah. both like some of the longer songs and have these immense, like they kind of follow a lot of the other song structure and these really driving heavy power metal riffs um but then have these great instrumental sections where they just do something completely like off the wall weird for this kind of genre like 
part two has this amazing thing where everything drops out for like a, basically a kind of drum solo. Yeah. But then yeah, that yeah. beat keep like the cool beat he comes in with keeps going, and then the bass comes in with a really cool riff over that, and it leads into like probably one of the best lead sections yeah, of the album. Yeah, yeah. There are some really interesting lead sections on this, particularly on Disclosure. There are moments which really remind me of Bathory solos, mm. where you have these you know really screeching highs, but then you so, they sort of bend them and bring it into something really emotive, but at the same time kind of unrestrained. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting to see that crossover because this is the sort of darker, more aggressive side of power metal, and then it's got some of that style of you know, really early black metal soloing in there. So yeah. it's, it's really cool to see that, and it it gives you that unsettling atmosphere through a solo. And I like seeing people basically break guitars and make them do things that most people don't make them do to get a new sound out of it. Yeah, because like, there's a furious nature to the guitaring that is just quite rare for this genre. So the band uh, we should get into is based around the brothers, uh, Christian Larson, who's one of the two lead guitarists, and mm. Lars Larson, the vocalist. And they've been the core of the band throughout their history. There's three other guys who are on both these albums, uh, Martin Arndl on second guitar, Casper uh, Graham on bass, and Mads Wolf on drums. And all these guys are now no longer in the band. Yeah. It's just back to the Larson brothers again. I think this is their first album with it, mm. with the, like the first of these two, their first with them. But the backing band are absolutely incredible yes. on this. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, unfortunately, like the follow-up album, I was nowhere as mm. nowhere near as into because they went in more of a traditional metal direction oh, okay, and lost yeah. like the kind of epicness this had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really the thing that it has. It because it's got that thing where you can say, Oh, this is a bit like a really aggressive thrash moment, but then it it brings that epic part of power metal and uses that in a different way to how most bands do it mm. and adds that onto something fast and aggressive to make the fast and aggressive also really epic yeah yeah totally um another interesting thing with this band is quite rare for this genre the singer sings with quite an obvious accent mm. which makes him quite memorable and unique because there is a real trend in this genre even for the european singers to all sing with an American accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you find that in a lot of things, and it's really odd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, it's it's nice to hear different tones and different accents in music, particularly when it comes from that country. You sort of think, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, I sort I sort of have that with lyrics as well. I'd like to hear people do their own language because that would sound really interesting. That'd be really cool. But yeah. obviously, from a market perspective, you know, it makes way more sense to sing in English, which, which I think is a shame, but especially for sing along music like this, yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. this this does still have a lot of the big memorable choruses. Mm, mm. But the other thing it has is the like as we mentioned before, these kind of interlude tracks, and some of them are a bit messy and all over the place. But I do think on Disclosure, there's a really great moment following the Gypsies' dance where they have like like this acoustic guitar duel come oh, out of yeah, that, yeah, yeah, which yeah. feels quite thematically tied to that. Um, like, river, like middle section of it of, mm, of Gypsy's mm. Dance and that then builds into this like electric guitar shred fest of that <laughs> uh, and that is like one of the real highlights of the album this like mm. the kind of first five tracks on that are a beautiful like just yeah, general yeah, section yeah. problem is we get to track six uh, When the Soul Reapers Cry which is about seven minutes long and it's one of the first points with the this double album of going this is a bit too long like yeah, you, you've yeah. just you've not got enough riffs to justify the runtime mm, of this track, mm. which yeah, it's kind of a shame. Like I feel the album then ends strong with um, all that remains and of madness and its purity. Like, yeah, it does yeah, pull the, it back towards those the two end. are really nice. And um, madness and purity thing as you were saying before is really thematic and how it ties everything together as well. It does that in a really nice way. 
Um, but yeah, I agree. There's a, there's a little bit of a drag in the middle, mm. um, at least for me on the second album. The first album gets round this because um, slightly, slightly towards the second half of it, we we get some more like tracks who have changed up what they're doing. Like it starts with Black Circus and Enchanted Mind, which are these super fast driving power metal songs. But then we get um, into the middle of the album. You have the lyrically silly but quite interesting freak show which is just entirely guitar and vocals like mm. melodic guitar electric guitars but with quite a melodic tone mm. and then um Lars's vocals with a really low voice like choral backing oh yeah and it sounds kind of cool it's just the lyrics are way too <laughs> uh, yeah and then later in the album we have Wisdom where we get guest vocalist Karen Bodum who was on one of their early albums Hyperion doing a trade-off of, like, he's meeting with a fortune teller and there's a mm, kind of... Mm. She's singing in a very, very clean style versus his, and it's this interesting trade, which makes the album just... I don't know, I, I feel flow a bit better and just the little yeah. bit of variation, possibly, as well. The first album's almost 50 minutes, the second album's 40, and I get the feeling might be slightly running out of ideas like right towards the end of yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's a very... I think you have to commend them, though, for having done so well with a double album anyway because that is such an ambitious thing to do. And to keep, you know, a thread of a story going and keep that musically going through the two albums is impressive enough. And this is pretty bloody good from the perspective of a double <laughs> album because most of them are far too long. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we're possibly being too harsh. Like, for the most part, this really worked. Mm. And, and I think these guys are a unique voice in power metal. Yeah. They, they've been quiet for a while, but actually there's... Um, seems to be some stirrings like on their social media recently. So I think a new album's mm. coming out relatively soon. So I'm interested to see where they've gone for it. I really hope they've gone back to this kind of very epic atmospheric feel they have here. Mm. Some of their early albums, like as I mentioned, Hyperion, kind of feels like doing this, but they're just not quite as well put together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, for me, this is really the point of their career I'd advise mm. listening to. I mean, now, now that you're saying it, um, and this is just me linking everything in my life back to Bathory, but um, that sort of way of thinking about it, of sort of this dark, epic, power metal is sort of how I see what happens as Bathory's career continues mm. from your more traditional black metal to your like higher epic black metal and they went away from the heavy towards the more cheesy and this is sort of going in the other direction so um, you can link anything back to Bathory if you really want <laughs> yeah. to but, but hey like this is the only band that gave me that like actually made me link it to a band like that so I think that's telling of the way that they've approached power metal so it's a really interesting yeah just an interesting take on it to listen to so, um, I think that's basically all I've got on this one. Uh, yeah, 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 I think we've pretty co covered that. Yeah, so to give you a good, uh, good example of kind of, this is one of the more kind of to the point, high paced songs. We're going to the, basically the start of the first album. This is The Black Circus. <laughs>
So the um, third band we're going to, uh, uh, well, the album covering particularly, is a really recent one. This is the Lebanese band Ostura, formed in 2009, although this is only their second album. So their first album was kind of a cool, interesting power metal album, but not anything particularly genre-changing or anything. And then basically half the band were fired, and they've gone in a completely new direction with this one, new lineup, and have released this hyper-ambitious album, mm. The Room, on Universal Music, which is kind of like if power metal was combined with... Um, orchestral film soundtrack music I think. yeah I think that's exactly right it is this huge sort of cinematic journey which then takes in a bunch of progressive and power metal stuff and adds it to that um, this album this album's a really interesting one and I think it is one of the most ambitious things I've heard in years it is crazy how big the scope of this is but it, it's actually it, took, it takes you a long time and I will probably haven't got my head around this properly yet mm. but at first it really sells you because it sort of it sort of comes in with this sort of heavy breathing and then brings you into an, an amazingly catchy pretty heavy riff it's really really good it like builds it in from I think it's from like a more acoustic or less distorted guitar and then builds into this big riff um, and the thing that struck me immediately is this also has a fantastic drum performance on it oh like the, yeah the yeah. drums sound beautiful uh, like they're just tuned perfectly um, hit, the hitting technique is beautiful the grooves are really nice there's some really nice fills on here and it's very inventive and then I looked it up and realised it was Thomas Lang playing drums who is a huge thing for drummers he's played with like Paul Gilbert Peter Gabriel Boyzone as well <laughs> you know he's, the list of bands he's played with is ridiculous you know he's won so many best drummers and drum teaching awards and he's sort of renowned out there in the drumming world it's really cool to hear him on something like this. So I just had to get that out at the beginning. The drum performance is amazing because it's Thomas fucking Lang. And it yeah. It would be. But, it, but this is one of those albums that immediately hits you over the head with the fact that the musicianship is incredible. Yeah. Like the guitar tone on that first, like the first heavy riff sounds absolutely massive, mm. which I really like from this genre when they get that big guitar sound. Because yeah. a lot of bands, the guitars are like, when the guitar's a bit weedy on this riffing, can massively let things down. Mm. But they've got this huge sound from the guitars, bass, drums, like, absolutely brilliant. But then, a real orchestra on this. This is not yes. a synth orchestra. Yeah, yeah. We have the City of Prague <laughs> Philharmonic <laughs> in the orchestra. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the Lebanese Film Score Ensemble. The, the guests <laughs> they have got on this, I don't know how they've done it for such... But it... It gives it that that amazing real feel to it. Like mm. none of these, none of these are keyboard parts. They are all actual orchestras, and they carry that weight with them. So you simultaneously have the weight of you know heavy sort of progressive metal style guitar playing and drums and stuff, and an actual orchestra playing all these parts, which is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it it, it leads to such big sounding stuff. And actually, mm. the album starts quite um, quite interestingly of like relatively toned down because it's all yeah. like short songs for the first four yeah, tracks. Yeah. Short kind of verse chorusy songs but just with this huge sound to them. As the album goes on we get into more like almost not so much progressive but a more atmospheric territory of lots of long just orchestra sections. Yeah, or... it really approaches this idea of taking, you know, film scores and because there's so much fantastic film music out there. And then, you know, supplementing that by adding metal to it. Things like Darker Shade of Black and stuff like that. These really long mm. songs, which have these amazing builds to them. And sort of, they're almost including metal 
at to supplement something else rather than the other way around. It certainly starts off with like, yes, these are sort of progressive metal songs with orchestral elements, and it almost flips it by the end. Mm. But I think it does that really well, and both elements sort of have the right amount of space most of the time, um, and they really help enhance each other rather than sort of battling and taking away from it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing was really important to this, the vocal performances are mm. insane. We have, <laughs> we've, the band have two vocalists, um, a male and female singer, but we also have guest vocals from uh, Michael Mills, who kind of famously been involved with Arion a lot recently. Mm. He's the guy on the new album that sings that weird uh, binary bit in like uh, 20 different oh, voices. Really? <laughs> like, but also, like he's the multi-instrumentalist behind... Uh, Toehider, who are a very strange band. Mm. Um, but yeah, so we have two brilliant kind of over-the-top male vocalists and the female vocals just add a completely different texture to both of them. Mm. Like all the vocal styles are quite different and will regularly trade off like individual yeah. lines, which makes it just a very memorable performance. And there are, uh, particularly, you'd think from this, if you go in sort of stereotype, you're thinking, oh, so you'll have... The female vocals will cover some of the really high parts. It's completely wrong because the highest moments in this song are some of the male vocalists. Yeah. Um, and Elia Monsef. And oh my God, they're amazing. Like, <laughs> it just gets higher and higher and higher and higher. And you think there is no way he's holding this note. <laughs> holds it perfectly. Uh, yeah, there is some just astounding vocal performances in it. And the production really helps them sort of really hit you as they're meant to sound. It sounds incredible. Yeah, yeah. And that leads neatly into the lyrics this album are a great... Like, they've moved away from power metal tropes, which I really like, because sometimes mm. that can slightly ruin these things when, like, it gets a bit too silly. Like, the concept mm. of this album is quite a good one. Essentially, um, it's about, like, a, a girl suffering from some kind of mental trauma or something goes into an empty room and sort of just imagines her own world with her as the god of it to deal with her personal demons. And mm. it's the story mm. of her getting over whatever it has, like whatever's occurred to her or whatever issues she has. And it's quite a nicely done journey. It doesn't, it just, just doesn't feel like those kind of tropes like that are yeah. so annoying in Power Metal. Yeah, it feels like a more sort of unique artistic piece because of that. And there's lots of stuff, as you say, which focuses on, you know, fighting your own personal darkness. Mm. And that, fe again, yeah, it feels very personal and heartfelt throughout it. And the idea of, you know, problems and the corrosion of the world around you and what can you do to change that. I mean, I guess it feels topical in a weird way. Yeah. As the world is all fucked at the moment. But it's a really nice thing as an artistic piece to have that different way of looking at things. And it does make it feel unique because if anything this is the one which feels the least like power metal um, yeah I, I, because it has it has loads of that influence in there particularly in the vocals and in some of the guitar parts and if you compare it to sort of manticora and pain's mind you can certainly see those links and we'll get onto the links to symphony x later but it yeah it, it there's so many other influences like the cinematic influences and the film music coming in that mm. it loses that a little bit but it creates something very unique out of that which is great because I really like this because it feels like a band who have on their first album really got to grips with a genre and on their second album gone we're gonna completely build on what was there and mm. remove strip away a lot of the more boring elements or weaker elements and try and just build out to something quite new. Mm, and yeah, yeah. I wonder if some of it is quite new just because 
this must have been so hard to execute and they yeah. they have set like made a rod for their own back of like this is going to be impossible to tour like I, yeah because <laughs> like the the um the two orchestras are so important to the songs yeah if that was on a backing track I don't know how much damage that would cause yeah. to the sound yeah that would be very very difficult to pull off particularly if you wanted to do large sections of this album that would be really really tough also Thomas Lang the drummer is not an official member of the band he's only no. a guest well and... yeah he's, well, he's one of those legendary studio musicians and you'd have to get someone in who'd have Phyllis shoes so you have to find you know I mean there are plenty of legendary prog drummers out there but you'd have to get a really good one to yeah, you, manage this you need like a Gavin Harrison type yeah. I think to, yeah. to cover this and yeah, yeah. Though those guys are hard to get. <laughs> but there's some other interesting stuff, like there's a load of guest solos from like a couple of Lebanese guitarists, but also on track nine, Darkest Shade of Black, we get um, Arjun Lucasen from Aerion, who's mm. actually not really famed for his lead guitar playing so much, but he's a brilliant guitarist. And this album definitely lends itself to the Aerion kind of big feeling epic concept yeah, albums yeah, definitely down to the length as well because this is a long album and it will take you a long time to get through it yeah just shy of 75 minutes yeah. which is the big criticism of this album actually mm. it, it's very ambitious I, I love I really love moments of it yeah but I do find I start losing interest like towards the end yeah, I think particularly as there are a lot of really big songs at the end of it you're mm. much longer tracks it it does become a little just difficult to stay on there and, and I, I don't I don't really think this is a criticism of it because it is so ambitious in what <laughs> it tries to do and there's so much stuff there that's fascinating you know you just drop in and listen to some of those later songs you think there's so much here that I don't take in when I listen to it as a full album because so much is thrown at me that I have to sort of process and go hold on how is this all working yeah yeah and, yeah and yeah the interplays between the orchestras and the metal later on in it is really really interesting but as a piece I do struggle a little bit and I think like for me I do find the start of the album where it's these more catchy kind of prog power songs versus the second half where it's like these more orchestral pieces with little mm. bits of metal here and there in them the first I find more engaging. And to an extent, I think that may well be a genre thing like we were talking about with power metal in general. That is something that you and I are way less used to than anything else. So yeah, it's something yeah. that as we first listen to it, it's going to take much longer for it to sink in and for mm. us to actually get it. But it's really interesting to see someone doing that. And I'm glad people are taking this sort of style of metal and invigorating it by throwing in other influences. The only other criticism I have of this is I feel the end to the album is a little weak. We have the final proper track, Duality, mm. is a big 12-minute epic, but it sort of starts like kind of toning itself down towards the last three minutes, and then the actual final track, Exit the Room, question mark, is just a two-minute piano outro. Mm. So you have the last five minutes of this huge album aren't that engaging. It doesn't build to a crescendo, it builds to kind of a fade-out. Which yeah. is obviously like a choice by the band, um, but I uh, yeah I, I just find with these things I want a crescendo. I want like a real yeah. note of finality to an album, a definitive sort of yes. Now this that now the full experience is complete. And yeah. honestly, as well, I don't like piano outro albums. They're, like there's um, so many I can think of that are bad versus the few I like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great albums like Ocean of Slumbers Winter does it as well. Mm. It's a fantastic album, and it just it always feels a little bit. Again, I think this is a personal thing, but it always feels a little bit like I I didn't need that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it wasn't necessary for the emotional experience of the album, but... Yeah. yeah, the only one I really like it on is Flesh God Apocalypse's Oracles. I really like the yeah. piano outro. It works quite well because it's because it's quite a bombastic piece rather than yeah. this kind of fade. Yeah, I can see that. 
But yeah, anyway, back to Ostura. Um, something else I've made in my notes, which this thing we haven't covered, but there is a trend of power metal bands having the most awkward band photos in the yeah. world. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, Manticore, who we were covering earlier, has some amazing band there's, photos. There's a real thing as well. So you've generally got big men with extremely long, often blonde hair, um, and then you've got the men like Hansi Kirsch from Blind Guardian who look like office workers, the yeah. most average of office workers, uh, and there's some of them in Manticora, and they have the photos of them look trying to look very serious, but it looks very, very silly. <laughs> yeah, whereas like uh, if you look at any picture, like modern pictures of Astura, they look amazing. Like They all have these pristine suits and just look so stylish. <laughs> They're all these really regal, attractive people. <laughs> it's that kind of... You look at it it's like, this is what old ba- power metal bands picture in their mind's eye when exactly. they're having their photos exactly. taken. But... Yeah, yeah. They have such a sense of style to the whole thing. <laughs> the album really has a great sense of style as well. Like The, the back and front cover of yes. it are really beautiful and really evoke yeah. the concept well as well. Yeah, yeah, fantastic pieces of art. You've got this sort of door surrounded by sky and some trees and stuff. And it, yeah, but it's it, the color palette on it's lovely as well. And yeah, you once you've listened to it, once you've sort of read some of the lyrics, you get what that art is saying. It all works together really nicely to push home the theme of the album, which is great. Yeah, and you can see how this band have but they've really, I think it's about six years since their previous album mm-hmm. and the the time they've taken, the evolution they've gone through was really worth that way. Yes. Like, yeah, like yeah. they really have come up with some great ideas here. Like, I hope more bands can be this, this ambitious, but then the inclusion of an actual orchestra must be a nightmarish thing to achieve. Yeah. I yeah. Like, with this album, I keep asking myself, like, how have they managed to get everyone they've got together yeah, for this? Yeah. Like, they, they have a guest Oud player on this <laughs> album. <laughs> Mohammed Nassar plays Oud. I have never heard a metal amp with an Oud on it before. Oh, I think there's a couple. I think there's definitely one on a couple of Orphan Land albums. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And actually, I think on some Nile stuff as well. But yeah, <laughs> they, there's, there's a lot of... like They've got so many people together... And yeah, the first album's really good, but I can't believe they've convinced everyone to be involved just on the strength of that. Mm, mm. Uh, they, they must have some connections. Yeah. But then they're from Lebanon, like, yeah. which is not exactly... Lebanon's got a great metal scene, but it's not exactly mm. famed for it. No, no, no. It's it, And particularly for huge, bombastic film score-style power metal, it's not what you'd imagine coming yeah. from that sort of scene. Cause it's the other, incredible. The other side of it uh, we haven't touched on is the recording and production is incredible. Whoever mixed this is a genius. Yeah, I, I don't know how they've managed to take so many disparate elements and make each sound incredibly like clean and perfect, but without losing that kind of edge. Like, there's so many riffs on this that have that edge to them and mm. really work, and yet you don't lose any of the sort of different frequencies or any of the clarity of the other instruments. Yeah, because most most albums you think of with that kind of huge orchestral presence, there is a bit of fighting at the seams with it. Like, mm. it's, it's like as I mentioned, Flesh Apocalypse earlier, they really have that problem of like yeah. trying to contain everything in a mix that sounds like it's going to fall apart yeah, at any yeah. moment. And this mix feels really open as well. Mm. It feels really sort of expansive and there's this huge, and I guess it's like this huge sonic range because there's so much stuff going on and there's a lot of variation to the tracks that they do. It's also a huge dynamic range and this isn't a massive surprise, including orchestras and all these other instruments, but there's huge, like, massively big sounding sections, heavy sections, and then there's really quiet moments and they build that together really nicely and that's the sort of thing that an orchestra can do really well and that you see in metal much less often because it's normally just incredibly loud all the time and often that's great 
but it is nice to see people taking those you know ideas of varying your volume and being a bit more dynamic and really expanding on that yeah and i think it is because writing for an orchestra is a very special skill mm. and danny boo moron the keyboard player and the guy responsible arranging, for arranging yeah. the orchestra clearly is very trained yeah. in this regard like this sounds like extremely professional work mm. whereas you see a lot of other bands that say like Dimmy Borger I think actually get a proper orchestra in but yeah. it does sort of on some of their albums have that feel of like we've gone for this one keyboard note can we yeah. get an orchestra to do that <laughs> note just play like, that one note yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to like some of this stuff does sound very good in that yeah. regard but this feels very much like someone who understands this world yeah definitely and um, for me as well there's, there's an influence which I notice on it um, it's a bit of an influence of composers like Hans Zimmer mm. in there. Some of those very dramatic film moments. Uh, when I was listening to this, I went and listened to some of Hans Zimmer's stuff. Uh, sort of for yeah, you can see that like dynamism which you hear in films which he scores within here, and that's really interesting to see people taking those ideas and switching them out. There's these huge dramatic moments where you almost have the sort of blah sounds which you <laughs> find in some of Hans Zimmer's scores. But again, like that's actually really heavy and impactful, and it's awesome to hear that combined with a bunch of guitars and some metal riffs. Yeah, yeah. And the, we need to mention it because I said every power metal band does. They do have the moment of trying to do the heavy vocals <laughs> and it's really awkward. <laughs> it's the, the only moment in the vocal performance that isn't spectacular yeah. is one point where he tries to do a lower voice that he can't quite reach, which is a shame, but then it brings back into a massively heavy riff, so yeah. I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but every power metal band does every this. Band. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that's probably like this is an album. Like I think there's a lot more to gain out of it. Like I've listened to it about ten times through, mm. and I still feel, yeah. especially the second half where it gets more orchestral, I need to give more time to. I need to. I like. I yeah. still haven't fully digested this. I one. guess the thing most recently that we've talked about that I'd compare it to in that respect is Slice of Cake. It's one of those albums that I just need to spend loads of time with to really get through it and understand what's going on. Yeah, because like we're possibly being a bit harsh on the long run time. It might be a case of this makes more sense with more time. Yeah, it's just like a seventy-five minute long album is a lot to deal with in yes. one sitting, particularly considering how much stuff there is in that seventy-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. It's a difficult one to give you a full representation in one song. We're going for track two, Escape, which has a lot of the great vocal melodies and heavier guitar stuff. The orchestral stuff's in there, but it definitely appears more later. Yeah. I think it's had some nice moments where the guitars will drop out and you will have just the vocals and the, the ludicrously high vocals in this, <laughs> combined with the orchestral moments, which give you this very different, a, a very epic moment in a very different way mm. to a lot of how other power, other power metal bands do it. So I think if you like that bit, then you'll probably love the rest of the album because it does that and it explores that in way more detail than just on this song. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is Escape from the Room.
next album we are covering, uh, and this has been a big build-up because this is this is the one that I knew reasonably well beforehand. Uh, this is Symphony X with the Odyssey, uh, released in two thousand and two on Inside Out Music. Now this is mainly defined by the fact it has an enormous twenty-four minute song on it about the Odyssey, mm. um, which is almost the most power metal thing you can ever think of. Yeah, Symphony yeah. X do that in that they you know they take something not fantasy in this case, but sort of historical. Um, well, it's fantasy, it's but... fantasy, yeah. Um, and then bring that to life with a combination of guitars and orchestral pieces building into this giant sort of journey-like song. It is mm. less of a piece of music than it is a piece of music telling a story on a huge journey, which makes sense with the Odyssey. Um, but the thing, the thing that I think really separates this one out is that I don't think this album is too long. No. <laughs> and and it's, it's a really long album. It's well over an hour, I think. Yes, yeah. almost 70 minutes. Yeah. But almost... So you have the huge 24-minute Odyssey. Every other song on this is, you know, somewhere around the six, seven minutes. Um, or yeah, even a little bit less. Yeah, there's one There's one four-minute-long song. Like, yeah. it's, it's not... Yeah, it's not... They're not so huge and expansive as some of the other mm. ones. Like, I think we should probably get into this is by far and away the most famous album we're covering yeah. a lot yeah, Symphony yeah. X are a very well known band um, they're American uh, which probably helps them being like you know a bit more well known mm. they've, done, they've done tours with like stuff like Nevermore in support like, yeah, yeah. so they they are definitely up there also sort of respected by that crossover audience of like this has got to be the power metal band that have the least power metal audience yeah. like <laughs> yeah, I think Symphony yeah. X are really popular among extreme metal fans because mm. they have uh, like an inherent heaviness to them mm. also it's mainly led by Michael Romeo the guitarist who is this absolute guitar wizard he yeah. he is yeah, yeah. a truly genius player like yeah if, if you if you if you like fast guitar playing and it, like interesting guitar playing as well um, and interesting riffs and setting them up in slightly odd timings when the riffs actually fairly simple that sort of guitar wizardry you you'll love this well I'd say he's one of the rare players in metal that could properly hold his own with like the Joe Satriani Steve I types like yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he could survive a G3 show yeah. <laughs> not that I'd have any interest in watching that no. <laughs> um, the, so the the big kind of thing with Symphony X's sound is you have Michael Romeo's amazing guitar playing then you have uh, Michael Pinella's uh, keyboards which are also normally very high in the uh, high in the mix mm. then the third Michael uh, Mike Lapond on bass who really fills out the rest of the sound and he's, he's a truly genius bass player mm. uh, and then finally Jason Rulo on drums and the amazing vocalist Russell Allen uh, yeah. Yeah, who, yeah and Russell Allen is your proper classic heavy rock vocalist like he he could really hold his own with those old style like Led Zeppelin bands he's yes. got that kind yeah, of yeah. Very American, but he's got that old British rock like yeah, power. Yeah, and, and, and there is a bit of a contrast there too, because uh, your traditional power metal isn't so much that. But I think with, with a few bands we've been talking about this evening, you've got that feel to it. You've got some of that deep purple idea mm. and that sort of rock power coming in as well, alongside your um, sort of really high and clear and anthem-like choruses. You have a bit of sort of grit in there. Yeah, um, yeah. Which with all these bands and Symphony X definitely adds to the heaviness because there's a lot of heaviness on this album there's some really heavy groovy riffs which mm. at times almost sound like groove metal riffs and then yeah. you get to the end of it and it's like that's that hasn't solved itself in a way that I thought it would 
And it's just slightly different, but it's never particularly ostentatious. It's just really catchy, heavy and groovy, but slightly weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think Russell Allen I really like for as well, he, he delivers the power metal, like, mm. heavy voice really well. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, yeah So the, the start of the album, Inferno, really um, sets mm. off in, in the tone for the entire album of these utterly shredding guitar riff, yeah, like, yeah. super fast stuff. And then Russ Arndt, like, over the kind of verse pattern, like, sings in this really gravelly low voice, mm. like, like the kind of almost screaming, but still with quite a lot of melody to it. And kind yeah. of, um, in a similar way to, like, Devin Townsend does in places. He yeah. has that kind of, it's singing, but it's so aggressive. Yeah, there's there's a bit of distortion in there somewhere, which is just making it sound a little bit different. And for those parts of the songs, I, I don't really know what else you could do. Like, <laughs> you have to have something more aggressive going on. And he does do one one solitary death note scream on this. Um, it's in King of Terrors, and there's just this one bit where he just breaks out into this scream, and then you're like, "Oh, where did that come from?" <laughs> on this giant album, that is the only time it happens. But yeah, he can manage that lower end, which, as we're saying, is something that sometimes power metal bands struggle with a little bit. Is getting that like slightly darker, more serious tone for those parts of the songs. Mm. Uh, and Russell Allen does it perfectly. Um, he's a great vocalist. I, I really think. like. Yeah, yeah. So so live as well. Uh, I took my girlfriend to see them a couple of years ago and she described him as looking like heavy metal Bono but <laughs> actually he's much more charming because he, he's a big dude yeah. like quite a muscular dude and he had like a leather jacket unzipped to show off all his chest hair and a pair of like gold rimmed sunglasses <laughs> but actually like as you as you like watched the set it was like Actually, no. He's kind of quite sweet and oh, adorable. Yeah. Like, he seems like a nice guy. He's just got a, he's got a lot of metal swagger going mm-hmm. on as well. He's, he's done a few other projects, like which I'm quite interested in. There's um, Alan Land, which is a collaboration he did with Jorn Land. Oh yeah, um, who's done a whole bunch of stuff. I oh, first God, yeah, found so him so many albums. Um, being he, he filled in for Ronnie James Dio at High Voltage Festival um, ages ago, that's where I first saw him. But that yeah. He's, a, he's got a very unique style in that he does that power metal with that more rock idea. But yeah, there's, just a, there's a unique charisma to him, which you get with certain singers, where there's just a way in which they deliver stuff is just really unique. Yeah, because he's got a lot of guest slots and stuff, and you can just turn him a mile off. Mm. Actually, interestingly, him and Nils from uh, Pagan's Mind are both on the new Aerial album. Oh, yeah, And yeah. they've got some of the real highlight moments mm. in it, I think. Um Yes, yeah, so the other thing with this, probably a lot more so than the other bands we're covering, this does have the wanky solo sections. Yeah. I think they're brilliantly written, mm. but if you can't deal with like guitar solo followed by a keyboard solo followed by a guitar and keyboard harmonised solo, you're not going to get this. Yeah, because there's bits of that in Pagan's mind, but it's not very long. It's always quite contained, whereas this really leans into it. But again, because you've got Michael Romeo composing this and sorting it out it's actually almost as interesting as the riffs like there's so much going on here and it's really well written like I really like uh, track 6 The Turning which is Mm. just essentially 5 minutes of straight shredding like this solo section is gigantic it's about half the runtime of the song Mm. it's well written like it just works a bit better Yeah, and and they're diverse as well Mm. you have these crazy shredding bits and then you will have slower more melodic and really emotive moments Mm. and it never fades into one or the other there's always something new going on so you're always paying attention to it yeah yeah um and there's there's a really nice variation in songs in this album like it the reason it justifies its long runtime is every track is different unique and memorable yeah. so we have like the opening inferno which is this super fast like heavy rock song which goes from 
hefty verse to bombastic massive chorus yeah. but then things are totally slowed down for track two Wicked which comes in with this like really detuned hefty guitar mm. but it's playing slowly it's just playing this really yeah. memorable riff sort of this like groovy hypnotic style riff and then you get these sort of um, more sinister again very like charismatic vocals over the top and it's like a, li- a little bit more subtle than Inferno which is exactly what a song called Inferno <laughs> would sound like but then a complete switch up for the Accolade 2 the yeah. sequel to Accolade one of the great tracks off of one of my favourite albums of theirs Divine Wings of Tragedy is this ridiculous ridiculous like medieval sounding thing with yep. full on like synth harpsichord sounds. Yeah, there's the keyboard bits in this that sound like they're almost like out of the exorcist when I was thinking <laughs> while I was listening to it. Um but yeah and then you have like these you know these beautiful piano moments as well and it's always shifting it up and doing something different. And I think definitely the accolade has like the the cheesiest chorus of the yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. And it it's the super cheesy moment. It's the mm. real over the top like eight minute ballady song but then ballad that builds up to like a monumentally heavy guitar solo. Yeah. Like, yes, that, yeah. that's where I wanted this to go. And, and they do that thing which we talked about with some of the other bands, which is one of my favourite things about all of these, of um, sort of balancing off the heavy moments with these powerful choruses and how you use that to basically bring out the best in both parts. The heavy parts sound heavier and the you know these epic, softer, powerful choruses sound more powerful because mm. they're put next to each other. And it really brings out those moments. Yeah, yeah. And then we get to uh, King of Terrors, which is yeah. one of the heavier moments of the album, I think. And mm. the only one where the drummer writes the lyrics. And I think it's, it, yeah. you say it's from an Edgar Allan Poe. So, so they've got some uh, quotes from Edgar Allan Poe in there as well. And it very much follows in that idea. This is a much creepier song than the rest of the album. Like, lyrically, I really like this track. Mm. It's, it's, like, I feel this band, like, the accolade two pushes it too far, but for the most part, I find it quite fun lyrically. Like yeah. Wicked's a yeah. cool story of a of a guy being like seduced by like a forest spirit, yeah. and and like the the chorus changes slightly every time to, mm. for his position in the story. Um, and King of Terrors, yeah, as you say, has this nice sinisterness that's matched by the riffing. Like yeah. it's a yeah, heavier, yeah. sinister song. But there's a great bit where it goes like really hefty on the guitars, and the guitars just stop for this yeah. kind of like. Like piano, like really low pitched piano yeah, passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really unsettling. And but then even on King of Terrors, you still have some of this catharsis with these chorus and these brighter moments, which help bring it out. But with with all of the songs, they're all really held in check. They are exactly as long as they need to be. I never feel like they, you know, stray out of their welcome. And they explore different ideas throughout it. So you're going through these really essentially tight packages of exploring an idea through their sound and with incredible musicianship and it never gets boring you always want to oh right okay now this is doing something a little bit different but with the same feel and the album like we'll get to the final track of the album but the kind of closer of this first main section you essentially have a a brilliant seven song power metal album Mm, that mm. ends with the uh, epic awakenings which is the longest track so far and it, it goes really nicely from melodic, like very melodic keyboard and vocal driven parts to really guitar-y parts. Like, mm. And it's just like, I find quite an engaging one because it just has a lot of elements to it. But then talking of a lot of elements, we get to the <laughs> true closer, the Odyssey, the yeah. 20 more four minute long song, which is where they bring in a load of new ideas. Yeah. Um, so the start of the song, I think it's the first like three and a half minutes before any vocals yeah, come in, yeah. is all Michael Romeo programming uh, an orchestra. Yeah, like, an, an entire orchestra. <laughs> and he's, he's, like, he clearly, like I was saying with Astura, 
has a grasp of how to write yes. orchestral stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing this um, playing this song like just by itself the other day. Um, my girlfriend thought it was like Star Wars music. It's 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 you could definitely see this being in a Star Wars film. There are so many moments you listen to. Like, yeah, that that sounds like a John Williams tune. Yeah, uh, it, it just does. And it's an interesting comparison, I think, to Asturias because they have the orchestras. They have actually people there playing, it, and they have a bit of a different influence. For me, I prefer this. Yeah, these. But then you're a massive Star Wars yeah, fan, so I think yeah, this, yeah. this yeah, is so just clocking into that bit of your brain. Yeah, it's it's more within that style, but it's a real testament to what can be done on something which, in the hands of anyone else, would sound sort of trite and too cheesy and wouldn't work. But he actually works with the sound, has written something amazing, even if it's not played on an actual orchestra and it is this program section. It still sounds great. You still get those emotions out of it. And, you know, it works perfectly fine with that. It'd be cool to hear it with an orchestra, but as it is, it's still fantastic. Oh, yeah, totally. And it does this really good thing of, like, it's the overture to the song. It, mm. it deals with a lot of themes that are going to come up and has this brilliant sort of build to a crescendo and then slow fade. And that slow fade is replaced by this really melodic guitar passage yeah. and Russell Allen coming in singing, like, the start of the story. So, there's, yeah, there's a lot of these, there's a lot of those sort of, like, more melodic guitar, acoustic guitar passages in it. Uh, and they really remind me of some of, like, old 70s Rush. Uh, 2112 would be the obvious example, but with their sort of, like, calmer, more intricate guitar patterns, which, again, are often linked to some crazy fantasy-style thing. It has that sort of callback to, like, you know, the prog giants of many mm. years before, and this is that, but a sort of more modern interpretation with metal added into it. It's It's as consistent and as good as any of those old prog songs, if not better than most of them. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it splits into if you get the the CD version split into seven parts, and mm. there is these like it, yeah. So if you know um, Tarkus, like yeah. that old album, it's got that kind of feel where it's mm. like lots of quite distinct parts, but there's a nice flow to yes. them, like yeah, yeah. and and brilliantly called back at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's amazing hearing those motifs which you come back to all the way through it. Uh, but I think that's a real testament to writing, to be able to bring that back and still making it sound like an evolution and towards the end it is summing up everything that you've heard mm. in a really nice tight package and I, I don't know how people write songs that are that long and manage to do that. Yeah, it's, no, it's kind of incredible. And there's lots of really interesting stuff. So Journey to Ithaca Part 2 is the um, the kind of your melodic intro, really vocal-led. But then we get into stuff like I and Daughter of the Sun, which are way more like guitar and keyboard battling melodies. Mm. And with like little bits of orchestral stabs coming yeah, through. Yeah, like, yeah. The orchestral sounds like Michael Roma keeps introducing throughout the album, or throughout the, the track. And then we finally get... Like, it's just such a brilliant build to the payoff. Like, just at the point where you're like, I've probably heard enough, like, yeah. crazy guitar work. It sort of, like, builds to a big point, And then we suddenly get into, like, the melodic finish. And yeah, yeah. The, the kind of the hero's return to Ithaca is, yeah, is incredible. <laughs> it's just the payoff you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, cheesy yeah. and stupid, but... Russell and narrating this hero's journey is... Uh... It's, it's that sort of songwriting craft. I think it's the same thing we talked about when we talked about Man of War ages ago. So that you recognise it is completely cheesy, but you're also 100% sold on it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it has been written in such a way, and the sort of journey that it has taken you on emotionally through the music you've been listening to, it just sort of overpowers it, and you're just sold on all of this. It's an amazing sort of return. And um, so we get this kind of the scene of the, the character returning to his homeland and, and battling all the kind of usurpers mm. that have appeared in like the wake he's left. It's just so brilliantly sung and delivered by Russell mm. and it gives you that 
that emotional swell you yeah, want. Yeah, and yeah. then perfectly finishes by fading out with a return to um, to the start of the song. Uh, the return to not like the bit directly after the orchestral intro yeah. with a repeated line and guitar melody. And it's just like yeah. such a perfect close. And that like, like that fade to finish it is why this album justifies its over an hour runtime yeah. because yeah, yeah. you've heard seven brilliant tracks and then this is t- totally engaging yeah, way this to keep giant, you this giant sort of artistic statement at the end because it is such a different feel listening to it than your standard tracks because it is it's this journey that then sums itself up rather mm. than you know most songs have very different structures which you know repeat sections it's one of those prog giants that only does that essentially to tie itself up at the end and like make this journey complete and it's yeah it's wonderful so i don't know how much you know uh, of symphony x's other stuff because not I've... a huge amount actually so what's uh, there's the one with the accolade part one on it uh, um, divine wings of tragedy yeah so i've listened to that album i really like that i do prefer this one yeah so symphony x have got nine albums at this point and this is the sixth in their kind of history divine wings of tragedy is their third one and i think mm. the first one where they hit an amazing stride and actually, the Odyssey is a really good companion piece to this because they have a very similar structure of yeah. some tightly written, like I think both have eight tracks, uh, like tightly written power metal songs and then a giant orchestral epic mm. at the end. And both are really worth a listen. I find the two follow-ups to that, they go into more experimental territory and I've never got quite so into. Mm. Then following this one, they release Paradise Lost, which gives them the heaviest guitar tone they've ever had. Yeah. And is actually this really hefty album, and it doesn't do as many giant epics. Mm. It does a lot more of like just layering these orchestral ideas in little spots throughout the album, yeah, yeah. and having like a kind of having the big overture at the start of the album instead. Yeah, right. Paradise Lost yeah, yeah. is a really interesting follow-up, and definitely the one I'd next recommend. Mm. Then they kind of tail off a little because Iconoclast, their eighth, is a double album and it's a total double album syndrome of only being about half good yeah yeah and, and then yeah. the most recent one nevermore i really enjoy but i really like, i would say if you enjoy what we're going to play from this paradise lost is the next one to go for and then probably divine wings of tragedy mm. um and i think the band the band have kind of gone on hiatus but that seems to be in question again now they might be coming back because if you can catch them live they are really brilliant live acts like all of them are truly brilliant musicians. Like, actually, the person who's in the most bands, bizarrely, is Michael Lapond, the bass player. Yeah, right. He's yeah, in about yeah. 20 other bands. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's rare for a bass player to be shared between yeah, all the bands. Yeah, yeah. It's normally the drummer or singer. Yes, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so... And another really interesting thing with this is Michael Romeo, genius that he is, is the... He did the recording, engineering, mixing, and production. So, has been able to get this massive sound out of this album... And able to criticise his own work in such a way yeah, to yeah. tweak the mix. I and... guess that's the thing, is it's getting exactly the sound they looked for, but that is an, a, just a crazy set of skills to have. To be that good at guitar, to be able to actually understand orchestras to the extent where you can write it yourself, which is another huge area of music, and then know how to record and master and mix and do all of that. So. And a, but I think it is why, as well, you get these things like between this album, Paradise Lost, there was like six years. Yeah. I, these, yeah, yeah. They, it just takes about a long time to put this stuff together. Yeah. Um, but again, the writing as well, that's another huge thing on this album. Because as we said, the seven tracks at the beginning are so, so tightly done around different sort of concepts and different ways that Symphony X can explore slightly different feels for the songs. And then with this massive closer. I, yeah, there's an amazing attention to detail with the writing there of making that so tight because it never feels too long. Yeah, yeah. 
I think we're in danger of going on too long about this band. But yeah, <laughs> so Symphony X, like, there's a reason they're one of the kind of the more famous mm. in this regard. Although actually, seemingly in the UK, nowhere near as big as like the Camelot type bands. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's just the different styles of power metal in a way. Yeah. This really doesn't feel the same as listening to Camelot or Nightwish or any of those type yeah, bands. Yeah, there's, there's a very different style. Mm. So like... Uh, before this as well, before we released this, we asked on like our Facebook thread like for recommendations of power metal bands like like fans of this mm, no because mm. both me and Rob are pretty ignorant of this genre yeah, as I say. Yeah, yeah. One guy recommended me all these albums, yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah, I probably yeah. never would have found any of this mm. stuff. Um, this of this all the kind of the really obvious ones like early Stratovarius, Rhapsody. Yeah. Uh, Gamma Ray, Blind Guardian, mm. uh, Demons and Wizards, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of that really kind of classic stuff. Um, Halloween, of course, yes. like yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can't stand later Halloween. I've only listened to bits. There's a couple of bits that I quite like, but I I wouldn't want to revisit most of it. I don't think I used yeah. to love it when I was younger, but um, yeah, I'm not sure that would fly as much now. And some some I really like, and I think Rob knows a fair few of these bands. Like uh, the band Redemption, I think are really good. Mm. Although they are way yeah, more yeah. in the prog end of prog yes. power. Yeah. Oh, I think that's something noticing, particularly with like bands like Astura in this episode. Like that is going in such an odd, interesting direction. That there's definitely power metal influence, but what you'd class it as. I mean, I've seen it reviewed on way more prog sites mm. than I have on any power metal sites when I've been looking up what people have been saying about it. So. One, yeah. one I'd say, and I actually I came across this band seeing them supporting Symphony X, but mm. Myrath are very, like, tr- true power metal, and oh, I think yeah. they do that style very well, especially their first album. It's real Symphony X worship, oh, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yet another vocalist who's on that Aerion album. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's more on that vein. But yeah, if you've got more to recommend us, um, we got recommended a huge amount that I've just not had time to go yeah, through yet, yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, if more in this style particularly, stuff oh, with the hefty guitar tone. I'd actually I'd love to see one of these bands fronted by a woman, seeing if yeah. you could transpose a slightly higher vocal technique and mm. still give it the heftiness of one of these albums. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it must be doable. Yeah, just definitely. A, yeah, less common style. Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess just uh, the usual plugs and stuff. Yeah, you can find us on Facebook at Phil's Breakfast Metal. It's at Breakfast Metal on Twitter and Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. Let us know anything about the episodes. Recommend us bands. Send us your band. Yeah, Why not? yeah. We'll listen to that. That'll be, that'll be really interesting. Um, you know, it's always interesting to hear what sort of music you guys are into, what music you're making, what you think of the stuff we're reviewing. Any ideas for things we should cover mm. or any like episode concepts or something? Um, there's a few we're thinking about at the moment but if you guys have suggestions yeah we'd love to work around that yeah because we'd like to keep doing like relatively unique themes because I, I like these themes where we can compare all four bands we cover yeah 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 also if you could give us an, a review on iTunes that would be great um, yeah just might get us somewhere up in the rankings yeah um, yeah, other than that, I mean, we, we've been a bit slow on episodes recently, but we I think we've got a couple coming up that should be quite straightforward, yes. so yeah, yeah. hopefully we should have a few out to you a bit more quickly, yeah. but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so to play us out of this, we thought we'd go for one of the more interesting tracks from The Odyssey, this is King of Terrors.
Gale.